0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel here and in this place and online. And we'll be continuing in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We'll take 24 and 25 this evening. So if you would open up your Bibles to those chapters. Uh, Just to highlight that um, as we take a look in these chapters, we're going to see mercy shown, and uh, we're going to see it in three primary lives uh, of interchanging here, but we're going to find that uh, God to, to for the, those individuals to, to show mercy and to receive mercy in the situations at hand but let's just pray and then we'll just open up your word father we thank you for your word and as we open up your word just I pray you'll speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit uh, using your word to to just speak to our hearts and and whatever way you need to Lord everyone is sitting and standing here in a a different space in their life Lord and the different things that are going on in their life and we pray that you would not only uh, uh, speak to us about clearly who you are and your character, but also reveal to our hearts, Lord, the things you're working on in our hearts. And we pray that we would just settle in you, uh, find our stability in you, our comfort in you, uh, strength in you, encouragement in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 24, David finds... Uh, where David will be the first to show mercy upon a man named Saul, King Saul, here in chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from the following of the from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, "Take note. David is in the wilderness of Engedi." Then Saul took 3000 chosen men from all Israel And went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Now if you remember in the previous chapter God miraculously delivered David by drawing Saul away to fight the Philistines at a moment when Saul was ready to pounce upon David and his men and capture him, remember they were there was a mountain and David with his men were on one side, and Saul and the men were on the other side, and they were going around trying to you know and they were trying to avoid and evade, but eventually Saul would have captured him, but the Lord literally just sent a messenger to Saul to say, "Hey, the Philistines didn't just break in for a little village they're coming into the land to take up the land so Clearly, Saul knew that he had to take his men and go and, and fight the Philistines, which then saved, which is showing mercy on David. There, God's just really showing mercy there on David's life um, because he was about to be uh, overtaken by Saul. And you you kind of quickly think this through a little bit uh, in in your present life, and and and. You know, as, as, as this happens and we, we think about, uh, we all, you know, we, we feel like at times in our lives where God has given us victory and we've overcome this and, and God's shown mercy and in overcoming victory on certain things and, and we say, like, okay, that's permanent, that's done. We'll never have to deal with that issue again. <laughs> it's, not, it's never going to have to pop up again in our lives. But we always want that victory to be permanent. And we wish that even our, our spiritual enemies, who pursue us, like Saul pursues David, would simply just give up, t- pay their attention to someone else and somewhere else and something else, and 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 leave us alone, and we'll have permanent victory, and not have to deal with it, this spiritual warfare again. And uh, but that's not how it works. But even when we are we have victory, and they're sent away or but they will come back or it will keep coming back until we go to to glory with the Lord right the enemy is never going to stop messing with this and throwing the fiery darts and messing with our minds and 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 getting us into our feelings of things that are just maybe are not right and not not accurate and we take okay why is the why is these things coming against me why is this I'm constantly dealing with and and just so we have to understand Many times the enemy and the things that we deal with are not going to go away and, and, and be, have complete final victory until we get with the glory with the Lord. We're out of this flesh, we're out of this world, and then we'll have permanent victory. Once we're in the hands of God in heaven, then we have pre- permanent victory. But until then, we're going to deal with things and and issues and problems, things that are not going to go our way, and things are just not lining up to how we think we should have them lined up. And and it's, it's, I've already dealt with this once. Do I have to go through this again? Yes. And the Lord allows those things. But we see here the 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 area is the wilderness of Ngati, which is these canyon like runs that runs westward from the Dead Sea and and if you've been down in that part of the Dead Sea and you've seen the caves and the canyons and those things down there you can see why David took his 400 400 men up to got up to 600 men but down into those areas to hide out in the in the creek because there's water flowing down through the creek there Uh, emptying into the Dead Sea but also it's good enough all these caves and vegetation that they can survive there in the wilderness of that part. Now now it's interesting one can see the numerous caves if you've been there. You can see them it's obviously a great place and we find that this is a setting that will uh, bear out God's God's grace in this case on Saul but also again for protection and, and solitude there for somewhat for David and his men uh, because they've been on the run. In verse 3, so he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. So speaking of Saul here, he's coming to the sheepfolds of the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to and attended to his needs. Now David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So it kind of gives you the little brackets of what was happening with David. Well, they were in that cave. And the cave must have been so large to house sheep during periods of time, but large enough But they were so far and deep and so dark that they were able to find themselves in the recesses of the caves and stay really quiet like when they heard uh, Saul and all of his men and entourage coming. It was very loud. That's why they picked it such a beautiful spot for, to watch because from those hilltops and through the caves, you could see and scout out when the enemy's coming. So they knew that Saul was coming. You couldn't miss him with all the the 3,000 chosen men and all the things that were coming with that. So here they are hiding up into this cave and say, don't don't make a sound. (laughs) Then God orchestrates it because there's no such thing as a coincidence. God orchestrates it that of all places, Saul needs to to take care of his needs. Uh, So what his needs were obviously probably going to have to go to the bathroom but also he might have decided to take a little siesta or into that place but there was a period of time as we will see it wasn't just a something it was quick and because of his needing to make attend to his needs none of the other soldiers none of his other guards would have gone in there with him it was just him solo going in to take care of his needs now it's interesting here uh even though David had almost like 600 men up in the recesses of the cave here, it was enough where they, even Saul did not alert to it. Now, if I was Saul and I'm going into a cave, I'm not thinking there's anyone else in there, but I might think there might be someone else in there. But this is the remote wilderness. But I would think, that what happens if there's an animal, a wild animal in there, right? My head would have gone squirrely thinking about going into a cave by myself but I guess you know he didn't have that problem he was a warrior and, and I'm not I guess but he went in there to take care of his needs and needs must have been pretty pretty dire and uh but he went in there and what happens is is he thinks he's going to help take care of his needs but what we're going to see is God's going to use this to bring uh attention to where David's heart is and showing mercy to Saul when Saul realizes his life could have been taken easily. Verse 4, then the men of David said to him, this is the day which you can hear him. In the, you can hear him. Hey, boss, did you see what's going on here? Can you believe this? This is, this is our moment, right? This is the day which the Lord, has, the Lord said to you. Did the Lord say that to, 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 to David? No, they just automatically said, this just all lines up too perfectly. And boy, their feelings, I mean, they're, these are the renegades, right? This is the, the, the hodgepodge of people who were running because they're in debt and they were depressed or de- distressed, I should say, and all these other emotions and everything else. They gravitate and became this mighty army. And definitely in, in the future as we read the scripture, he becomes a mighty army. They're tired. They're hungry. They've been being chased. They're almost, and they're hiding in there. And yes, you would automatically think because the fact that this is happening, it must be of the Lord. We all can probably be guilty of saying, wow, this is the Lord. We're going to take this man out. This is going to be great. But behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Notice the quotes there. At some point, apparently, at some point, previous occasion, God promised David this. Behold, I will deliver you, deliver your enemies in your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. So at some point, there was a quote back to him, like, this is the Lord. This is the answering of what the Lord has said to you. David should have said, you're right. I mean, this is, inc- this is incredible. This is right. So what happens? David arose and secretly cut off his head no so he really cut off a corner of saul's robe so saul taking care of his knees might have taken out his outer robe of his, of his of his of his kingly ship of his authority putting it aside to take care of his needs and then obviously saw it, david saw it and went and just cut a part of that robe and said this is a good good indicator that could have been your head so what happens and now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him. Ah, now he's convicted. Troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Remember, he's cutting the authority of the one who is king right now. Notice that. Keep it in mind, Saul is, is king. David's going to be the future king, but God hadn't placed him and put him in that kingship yet. Then he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So, His needs were met. He obviously fulfilled those needs, whatever those needs are, and he ended up getting up and leaving. Saul restrained his men. Obviously, his men were ready to obviously pounce on this man. But cutting that robe, that robe of authority, God convicted David's heart and said, this is not how I want this to happen. Now, you had to ponder on that for a while. I was like, well, then, Lord, why did you bring him into that cave? <laughs> Things lined up way too simple. So, why is it that's clear to me? Why didn't you? And he said, trying to attack me, and now you're Because God was testing David. Now, think that through a little bit. The men, if he would have pounced on Saul and killed him, took his head off, and walked out the cave and said, I took care of Goliath this way. I took care of Saul this way. And God is with me. And I made a big stance of this. And God gave him into my hands. This is always of the Lord because I just knew this is of the Lord. Well, quickly found out that it wasn't of the Lord. Because the conviction came over and said, no, that's not what you were supposed to do. And he didn't touch him. Touched his robe. That was enough step toward that. No. Now I, I always I ponder on it a little bit and said, why did he just do the robe and not just go right for the head? Because deep within he knew there was a holding back. He knew there was a straight there or something that was holding him back. Because he could have just taken him, killed him immediately. But he didn't. And then once he did that one step there, obviously the Lord convicted him to say, hey. And it's interesting, David decided to spare Saul's life, to, to show mercy. And, and you you'd sit there and you think through, God, what were you teaching David through this? I think when he finally came to realize at that moment, I'm actually taking the steps in my own hands. I'm leaning on my own understanding. And I'm looking at all the feelings and thinking everything. And all my men who are around me are encouraging me to take this step and to kill and take this man's life. The multitude is trying to convince you to do something that all of a sudden the Lord convicted David. And this shows the character of this man. He says, I don't care what everyone else thinks. It only matters what God thinks and I already convicted because I actually thought about it I took a part of his, his his robe over here and he's over there and I caught off the here and I could have gotten him but I didn't I just took this at this point in time and and then the conviction came sometimes when we have a promise from God we think it's we're justified in sinning to pursue that same promise and that's always wrong. God gave you a promise. That doesn't mean that you can sin and figure out a way to get that that God has promised you. God will fulfill his promises. If he gives you a promise, you don't, don't do it in the wrong way, the wrong heart, wrong anything. You just let God work out the details of how to do and how this is all going to come about. At no point did God tell David to kill Saul for him to be king. He only said that he, you're going to be the anointed king in the future. He didn't say when and how he was going to do it, but he didn't tell him he was going to kill him. And so many times we'll think through and go, well, this is one way of getting to be king. God didn't really tell me, that's not how I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> but God didn't tell you to do it. So sinning and going and t- taking his life, would that have been sin? It would have been going against God's way. And, God, and in the heart of David, deep within, knew what he was doing was, would have been Selfish. Taking matters in his own hand to make it happen would have taken matters in his own hands. He would have been leaning on his own understanding. He would not have been trusting in God in orchestrating that. So we also see that David's heart wasn't stored up of bitterness either. It wasn't sort of a bitterness and anger towards Saul, even though he almost lost his life a few times. That didn't cause bitterness to set in his heart or anger where he would have resulted in sinning against God by taking the opportunity that God allowed to test David at that moment. David just kept talking to the Lord. Kept seeking the Lord. And because of the fact that each time things were going against David, Saul was coming against him. David did the right thing by just giving it and and laying it back at the feet of the Lord. Lord, this person is coming against me. I'm going to lay it back at your feet. I'm not going to hold it against him. I'm not going to turn bitter. Let the enemy turn it into bitterness and anger and all these things. Because if that's what was driving David at this point, now in the cave, and all of a sudden the opportunity came, you know as well as I that that flush of his would have would have struck Saul. He would not. Saul never would never have but have made it. But David's heart was so troubled, it was so tender and conscious of God that he even sensed it, even at the height of this emotion, and you knew the emotions were running really rampant in there and all those guys were encouraging him to take Saul out. But he says these words to this men, and his men listened and received. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. He is in leadership position. This is what God's called him to do. This is what it is. This is what your God has Saul at this point in time. It's not me. I don't get to make this call. And he called it the way right because he had the right heart. That is the Lord's anointed. That's the Lord's leader in the position. I am nowhere am I to take him out and stretch out my hand against him. And that by doing that, David was able to restrain they listened and understood. Maybe that fully understood. Emotionally, they probably still say, I don't understand what you're saying, but I'm going to listen and I restrain myself. And that takes all out. Because David had a humbled heart. He had a tender conscious conscience before God. I mean, he was convicted just by cutting off a corner of the, of, of the robe. But it definitely... And one of the things I also ponder on is if he followed through with that, you know what kind of message that would have sent to all of those men in that cave? It would have sent a very bad message, and it would have, you would have reaped what you sowed, too, right? So here's a, what it would have put him in great danger in the future, because these men said, that's how you took out Saul. And when someone out in that cave, if they've gone rogue in some way, and, and got angry and bitter toward David because he was disciplined them, or kept them accountable, or any of these things, one of them would have rise up and said, you took out Saul, I'll just take you out the same way. I mean, there's consequences of your behavior, and you reap what you sow. And so God, it obviously, protect and showed mercy to David as well, because he would have set a precedence that would not have been godly. By killing this man would have not have been a godly thing to do, because God didn't tell him, David, right now I'm delivering you Saul. I need you to take him out, and then you're going to go out and take out out. He didn't say anything like that to David. And a godly person always will listen to God first before he makes that emotional move. Because it would have been emotional because the other guys would have encouraged him. It's like you get there and you're at the schoolyard and you're there and some bully's trying to you're coming into your area. And you got your friends like, you can get them. Come on, you can get them. Let's start a fight, 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 fight. It's that kind of mob mentality that creates. We see it on news all the time. But a godly man did not resp- didn't respond to the mob mentality. He was listening to the Spirit of God to tell him what or what not to do. Verse 8 David arose, also arose afterward, went out of the cave. Now, I don't know how long he waited. It's not like I think he walked outside the cave. I think it was a distance there from the cave. But in obviously in earshot, because when he went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. So he got his attention with the words, but he also demonstrated in his actions by humbling himself by bowing down to his authority. It wasn't just words. His actions lined up with his words because they were in line with his heart. He was not here to take out Saul. It was David's big chance, and in everyone else's eyes, it was his big chance to take him out. Or he could have sit there and said, let him go, let him disappear, don't say anything, we're not going outside, we're just going to stay in the cave long enough for them to disappear. He didn't do that. He didn't take the safe way and say, quiet, and stay in the cave. He humbled himself to come out and to communicate to Saul to let him know here's an opportunity to to me to demonstrate I am not here to take your life, Saul. And he's humbly submitted great submission to Saul. Why? Because David had great trust in God. You don't do those steps Because of your own strength. You don't do it because of your own wit. You don't do it because of some some inner strength. No, no. You do it because your trust is in God. See, many people will have faith in God. Do you know God? Oh, yeah, I know God. I have faith in God. But just because they have faith in God doesn't mean they trust God. Faith God just talks about the fact that you believe who Jesus is. You believe what he's done. But the question is, do you trust God? And trusting God is an action. You actually follows up with the faith. The faith and the trust line up. Trust means you take action. That's in line with the scripture, along with the word, along with your faith in God. And David demonstrated this trust. God, I trust you. I'm not going to take him out. That you're going to put me in the position as you anointed and promised me to be king. I'm going to allow you to do that, not me, and not the mob. That, the, even my closest friends, I call the mob right now, but the closest buddies, your buddies who are sitting there supporting you, who are there to, to you know, in war to battle with you. You're the right-hand man right hand men right now. They've committed their life to you to, to get, These are good people. but your trust is not in them your trust is in god you put your faith in god you also put the need to put your trust in god and he showed that demonstrated by holding back and restraining but also taking the step out and making acknowledgment trusting god is going to use that for god's glory and to show the heart of david so saul would understand that david is not looking even though that's what the enemy got into Saul's head, and he was squirrelly thinking David was trying to kill him and take him out. And that not, was not true. So what did David say when he took that great step of trust in God to come out? Because he, he made himself completely vulnerable to Saul. Well, he said, David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see... Yes, see the corner of your robe. Now, now, why do you call him father? Well, he is his father in law. <laughs> remember, he was married to his, 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 the daughter there, Saul. He's, he's saying, We're family, right? <laughs> we, were, we were part of the family here. <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to kill me. I, I, you're my father in law. See the corner of your robe in my hand? For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you now. No, and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hurt my life to take it. You hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me. Let the Lord avenge me on you but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judged. That is a very strong judge. You don't have to cast, he didn't have to put, cast judgment upon Saul. David understood the Lord is the one that judges. Therefore, let the Lord be judged and judge between you and me and see and plea my case and deliver me out of, out of your hand. I have faith in my, my God. I have my I trust in my Lord. I'm not going to, I'm just going to put my, throw it in, the, my plea in front of him. I'm not going to be casting it at anywhere else. I'm just coming to the Lord. But David asked him the question, why are you listening to your, these, these people around you who are telling you these lies that I'm trying to take you out? I've had people try to tell me to take you out. I didn't listen to them. I listened to what entrusted in what God says. You know, every time we see this 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 time that Saul's tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. They're trying to catch him around the mountain. All these opportunities. And now down here, they're chasing him down in and Getty. All of these opportunities. David is still coming and covering and trying to find where the good is in all this with Saul. You know, some would sit there and say, David, lay it all on the line, man. Tell it like it is. Even as he does, even as David does say and, and pours out and tells him and, and, sh- and shows this mercy and kindness to Saul. David fulfills a proverb by doing this. Love covers all sins. 1 Peter 4.8, love will cover a multitude of sins. May we have that same heart of showing mercy and kindness. Because love will cover. Love can cover the multitudes of sins. Because he says, I'm not stretching out my hand against you. I'm not gonna, no touchy here. Why? Because he trusts God to orchestrate David's life and no one else's, and his timing and his way. For God says, I'm in control of your life. I have a plan and purpose of your life. And he understood all of that. But at that moment, put yourself into Saul's <laughs> sandals at that moment. When it all of a sudden you realized Like the Spirit of God just speaking to you so loudly in your heart. He could have killed you. You could have been dead. But that's God's way of sending a messenger to, to Saul, isn't it? It's a little subtle message when he sees this piece of robe. that's, that's his basically a sign, a symbol of his royal authority, and says, "So I'm cutting away your 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 royal authority here. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm letting you know this this whole kingship and your control and trying to keep control and all things. It's 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 going." Samuel said back in 1 Samuel 15, if you remember, in 27-28, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Is that a moment where all of a sudden he remembers Saul, uh, Samuel saying that to him? Today's the day the Lord has torn that from you. And there he is, a sign of his authority, of his robe in David's hand, says, Maybe. See, it was inevitable that Saul would be judged. But it won't be David. And that he would lose the throne because God said he was going to lose the throne. But it was absolutely God's business to accomplish that and not David. It was the business of no one else but God doing this work. Jesus established this same principle and spoke of that in Matthew 18:7 when he said offenses must come but woe to the man by whom the offenses comes God's judgment is God's business We put ourselves in a very bad place when we find ourselves when we make ourselves instruments of God's judgment we have to be very very careful God's the one who will orchestrate the steps of how he's going to bring about judgment in someone's life. But David says, I'm I'm not going to judge. I'm going to trust God. He will deliver me out of his hand. He will do what he's going to do as he anointed me to do it. He's given me these promises. I just have to wait patiently and let God do it his way in his timing. Verse 16, so it was. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, and Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? So clearly, by that statement, I always think it was a distance. There's a tremendous distance between him and Saul at this moment. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with, with good. Whereas I have rewarded you with evil, and you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? That's a big question mark right there for him. Therefore, my, my, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Look at the emotional. I mean, this is an emotional response from Saul. Because he'd been living in his life thinking that he had to kill David, get rid of him, because he was convinced in his little squirrely little mind that David was trying to take him out. And David's refusal to kill Saul when he had that chance, clear chance. That David's obedience to God and his love to Saul, to show love to Saul, made all the difference in softening Saul's heart here. May that be a lesson for us. Let us obey God and show love to those who don't even deserve the love. Knowing that they're coming against you constantly. Constantly looking over your shoulder every day looking for something that they're going to come against you. You just don't don't respond to that any other other than trusting and obeying what God's directing you to do and showing love to them. But here's a dramatic change here for Saul. He's acknowledging you're more righteous. You're more right with God than I am. You've dealt with me mercifully. You've... Mercy has been shown to me here. I I, I get that. I realize that. You could have killed me. May the Lord bless you, reward you for what you did is good. And he just wept because he realized that's a heavy moment right there. Verse 20 through 22. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. (laughs) now he's making it very clear in his mind. He he spoke the words, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. There's no question in his mind. The Spirit of God really clearly brought clarity in his mind. Therefore, swear now to me. Now he's asking for a covenant like his, his son Jonathan here. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. <laughs> I was like, David, don't you trust Saul and <laughs> what he said? Why don't, you, why don't you leave the stronghold in your place to hide out? Why don't you go back home? I think he understood. Let's, let's test this. Let's not just be too quick to, to just trust Saul in this. So we find here, I mean, Saul, don't get me wrong, Saul knew all along that David was going to be king but he was in, in complete denial, and he was fighting it, and fighting it, and fighting it, and, 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 and focused, the enemy got him more into focusing on trying to, to go against him, and, sh- and be bitter, and angry, and unloving, and all these things, as a father-in-law relationship, but also as a king, and knowing the new king's coming in, and God is for him, just like he was for him, but he screwed it up, and he knew that. I mean, all of those things didn't matter when you're spinning out of control mentally. And spiritually, you're spinning out of control. All you see is what you want to see. Until a traumatic experience happens. Where it could have cost you tremendous. I mean, cost you huge. In this case, Saul could have lost his life. But it may not be for us. Sometimes God brings us through lessons where you could have lost your life or could have lost everything. You could have made a, caused a lot of pain in many ways if you would have followed through with your, your flesh and your emotions of these things to do this. David almost could have lost everything because he would have gone against God if he would have taken out Saul. He would have set a precedent that others around him watching would have said that's what he did, how to get kingship. That's how I'll get kingship. I and mean, they could have set a precedence that would have not have been good for David. But here, Saul makes at the very end. He recognizes, he acknowledges, he confesses that you're going to be king. No question your kingdom is going to be established here. No question about this. But, so I want to make a covenant with you. a <laughs> Promise, please promise me, David. Just, he doesn't know that Jonathan made this more than likely, but he's making it. But please, because that's what happened when another king comes in. They usually wiped out the other king's descendants so they couldn't rise up to power. So they were trying to arrange that. And of course, David didn't hesitate. How could David now destroy any of of Saul's sons or any descendants of him? But he didn't go back home, notice. He didn't go back home with Saul, (laughs) re-embrace... Go back home. Have a family reunion and gathering and a party here. Because David recognized his place was not in the palace yet. That's not where he needed to be. Because David knew as much as Saul meant his moments. And he's in the past said things that It seemed get, he was no longer going to be angry and bitter and coming against him. It, it was only a matter of time you saw it again. So that struggle. to, to Okay, there's victory here. There's, there's goodness. There's moving forward. This is right. This is good. This is pleasing of God. And you're just kind of watching, okay, is it going to turn on me again? But we don't see that. But we see it today, right? Many people will repent. Many person will repent and claims to recognize their sinful ways just like Saul did. I'm sorry. I know I came against you. I know these things here. I know I'm quietly and secretly and openly coming against you. And all these emotions and sincerity of moment that I I recognize this is right and this is wrong. at the same time, David recognizes, I'm going to just stay right here in the stronghold until I see the direction of Saul's life. <laughs> see what the Lord wants me to do. Lord told me to come here. This is the stronghold. If God says for me go back, I'll go back. But in the meantime, I'm not going to just respond here too quickly. Chapter 25, we see again a continued uh, part of the uh, Of just the life of David and and showing mercy and mercy being shown in so many different ways. It says, then Samuel died, his mentor, the one he looked up to, the one he turned to, his main guy there, the spiritual leader there that he leaned toward, he died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So here, a great man, dedicated to the Lord, serving the Lord, doing what God called him to do. And as godly as Samuel was, it didn't save him from an earthly death. Why? Because he's still a descendant of Adam. (laughs) His body would roar out like the rest of us. But God's work in Israel did not end when Samuel died either. God's work never is dependent on one man. God will orchestrate when he he brings out one man, he'll bring someone else in to replace, continue to do God's promises of what he said he was going to do. And so we see that David rose. As Samuel comes down, David rises up to continue to, to do what God's going to continue to and sustain him in his work to do that it pleases God. But we see people gathering together to lament, obviously, for Samuel. He was obviously recognized. His heritage was remarkable. I mean, he, he was—he was the one that orchestrated and put together the Levites in the service of the sanctuary. He was the one that, would administratively, God gave him the wisdom to set up those the servants in the sanctuary and to and to and to, uh, uh, you know. Obviously, would be continue that work into David and to Solomon. That whole work would continue down that line there, even though Samuel died. But Samuel started that. He started collecting the treasures, the treasuries to be part of that temple that it was going to be built. Samuel remembered the Passover and kept Israel in remembrance of the great deliverance. He's, he was the one that was really God used to bring about consistency of bringing forth what God said to be done. And that's why Samuel among the God's heroes of faith that we see in in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. Verse 2, now there was a man of Maon whose business was in, in Carmel. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife is Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. So we've seen two new characters coming into play here a man named nabal a very rich man very a businessman a wife abigail was, uh, good good understanding right? a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance but he was very harsh and evil man and and how he how he did business it appears And you ponder on that and you start say, okay, why is this coming into play into the, into the scripture here? He's talking about a rich man he's talking about but he was very harsh and evil and you know, and you start thinking about you know, people who are rich and how that can what does that really mean? And you realize okay he's wealthy because he talks about the, the thousand sheep and the thousand goats. And so you're kind of like, okay, he's rich in money and resources, but there's other kinds of riches as well. I mean, there's riches that, uh, in what you have, which is what he's talking about here. But there's also riches in what you do. There's riches in what you know, and there's riches in what you, who you, and what you are. The, the riches of your character, your character riches that come out of you. There are different values here. But we see this man had the value of what he had, but his his character of, of who he is, his his riches in his character of who he is and, and what he knows is stuff. Those are not rich, they're very poor. He, he, he just, this, his, his name, Nabal, even means fool. And he's going to play it out as being a fool and how he is so mean and aggressive in his dealings and with David and his men. But he also highlights his other half, Abigail, who appears to be complete opposite of him. What happens here? Well, in verse 4, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the, young, to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us. And we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all, the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David, and waited. Understand as you read this. Here's a very wealthy man. He has lots of these sheep and lots of goats and all these resources, and they're always vulnerable of people taking advantage of him and stealing and and taking the sheep and the goats. David said, "We did a. We did. We actually helped. We actually." Provide a very valuable service to Nabal because his shepherds were with us. We protected them. No one touched any of his resources. We protected them by being around and present with them. It was a very valuable service they provided. And David's now looking for some compensation for his men by feeding them during a feast time. And so they're going up there nicely and saying, hey, we ask, you, ask your men. We protected them from all of the dangers here. And we're looking if we could be partaking and could you give us some food during the feast time. And so he sent the ten young men to ask. And they start out by peace to you. We're here in peace. We're not demanding anything. We're just asking. Could you show Mercy here. They don't have the food. Remember, they don't they're on they're they're on the run. Will you show mercy and provide the food through this method? Look what the response is. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? He's 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 really just looking down and couldn't care less about. David. But this man knew who David was. Everyone in the in the nation of Israel knew who David was. He's basically as a, a rich man, prosperous, prideful man. He's like, whoops, who's David to me? Who's the son of Jesse to me? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. I know what David, David's on the run. I know he's running from Saul. I know what's going on out there. Everyone does these things. He's just a renegade. He's out there. I know what you're, 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 you need food because you broke away from the master. He's looking down at David here. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? I'm not helping a stranger. Are you kidding me? Well, that's not the custom of Israel, was it? You're supposed to show hospitality. You're supposed to help those in need. So David's young men turned on their heels. They immediately did a bow face and went back. And they came and told David all of these things, all of these words. So you see these young men were just coming and asking, just like David asked him to come do it. And he's like, who are you? Who's David? Who is all this? You think I'm giving out all the nice stuff I've, I've earned? This is my stuff. I'm only going to give it to those who actually sir, benefit from me. If they benefit me, my shears who do the work, okay, I'll give it to you. But I don't know who you are. I'm not going to give out all this to someone I don't know. Nabal was very um, insulting in the, his response to the people, to the ten, 10 young men, and to David directly, basically. So what happened then? What did David say in verse 13? And David said to his men, every man girded his on his sword. Oh, <laughs> uh-oh. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. So... Here's these 600 men. He says, to four of them, grab your sword, men. Did you hear what this man said? I I am insulted. And so David is not seeking the Lord here. He immediately turned to the sword. And Nabal doesn't have no clue where David's mindset is at this point in time. It's like saying... Men, lock and load. Mount up, boys. Here we go. David was ready in fighting mode. He wasn't about to show mercy here. He showed mercy to Saul. But this man, just because he was was insulted, he's turning, because someone insulted me, now I'm going to go into fight mode. Uh-oh, David, you're in trouble here. What does Jesus say about those moments? When someone comes in and insults you in maybe a subtle way or a blatant way. Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39, basically, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other, the other two of them also. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Not to go into fight mode and say, get my sword. But notice here, David didn't show Nabal the same type of kindness and long-suffering and mercy. He didn't show these things as he did to Saul. He spared Saul's life. Here, clearly, he's going with his 400 men to take this man's life and everybody around it. He's not coming down to have words with him, but to wipe him out. Notice here in verse 14, God intervenes. Who does he use to to stop this fight? Look at verse 14. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, reviled you know what that means he didn't just say get out of here he didn't say take you and your men and get out of here no no he spoke to him to in a very really harsh no question contemptuous foul I mean he was reviling in his language now go back and tell David That's why I think, obviously, David responded to this because he made it clear to his Abigail, the wife, he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no one can cannot speak to him. <laughs> so, obviously, when those men did an about face on the heels and pivoted and said, okay, we're going to go back and tell David, clearly as they were leaving, go, boy, when David finds this out, when we go, we're going to come back, you're going to wipe you and your boss and, and everybody out out. I mean, it was, clearly that's what it seems to be clear because the one of her young one of his young men heard them enough to say to Abigail, this is what they're determined. They're determined to come back against the master and against his household. That means that means us. <laughs> what are you going to do, Abigail? What are you going to do, wifey? What are you going to do here? So what happens? Verse 18, then Abigail made haste. That means she she immediately went into action and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sheaths or measures of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on the on donkeys, And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. <laughs> Remember, We just read that one of her characteristics was she was in good understanding. She was a wise woman. She could see the situation. She assessed very quickly and realized, I've got to do something here. And one of those things is she didn't respect or disrespected her husband by not telling him. But at the same time, there's wisdom that says he would have stopped her. And she knows this man was foolish. She knows her husband. He's not in his right mind. He's, he's as the young man said, he's a scoundrel. He's, he is a prideful, mean, angry man. And he's not understanding what he's doing. Who is he messing with here? So she went, took the food that these men needed. He, so he didn't, she didn't take money. She just took food. That's what the men needed to do. That's all they were asking for is to pay them back for keeping all their resources and all the shepherds safe here. But the fact that Abigail was so able to so quickly and haste gather that much tells you how wealthy this man, this family was. And that's what makes Nabal that much more ungenerous because all of this was all in his favor, he just refused to give. A Hard heart, you'll never give. Then verse twenty-one. Now David had said, "Here they come. They see her. They didn't see her. He was she. Remember, these are these are these are like." Um, caverns or um, valleys so she's staying at the low end of the valley so she could kind of come up upon them ahead of time and then meet them as a thing so they say see all of this entourage, all these donkeys, all these people bringing and she's in the behind so they see the resource they see the the, the, the stuff in front of them. And so now David had said, surely in vain I have, protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good? May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of, of all who belong to him by morning light." Now, when you read that, you're like, oh, David, David, be very careful here. You, you, you're getting into your emotions here. I'm going to repay you for the evil for good, right? I did all this good to you, and I get this evil back. And then he brings in, may God do so, and more also to the enemies of David. Me, I, I, I should do it to me if I don't follow through with taking this man's life and everybody around. I, God should take me out. Be very careful. That wasn't a very wise, it was a very emotional statement there. Notice here, David had the facts straight, but not his heart. You can get the facts straight in the situation, and you can be right factually. But if your heart's not right, watch out. But very clear. There's any question what David's motive and what he was about to do was very clear. If I leave one male of all who belong to him by light, that means if I leave one, he is determined to take out every male. Verse 23, now Abigail saw David. She hastened to dismount from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell on his at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Put the, put the sin, put it all on me. I, I'm here. to Sacrifice me is what she's saying here. Please Let not my lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. So she's calling her husband a scoundrel here. Be careful. But for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly, folly, folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. If I was there, I would have dealt with it differently, is what she's saying. But I wasn't there. I didn't see your tenmong men come and ask. I could have interceded. I didn't deal with any of this, so I'm not there. But I will take the responsibility. I'll take, I'll take the sin upon myself here, the iniquity. Now, therefore, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then. Let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as they ball. And now now this present, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make For my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Notice the charming up. She's painting a, she's taking from the negative, she's turning it to the positive and lifting him up. Wait a minute, you're better than this David. You're, you're better than all this. Don't, don't respond like this. Don't come angry and bitter and resentful and wanting to take every mail out. You're better than this. This is God has got to have a better plan than you to come in here and ruin that by coming in here out of emotion. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. You are in the right place. You're doing what God's called you to do. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. No one can have anything bad to say about you, David. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and to seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundles of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out, and out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done... For my Lord, according to all that good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, no offense of your heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. So she comes up, she works her way there and gets as close as she can to David by just kind of on that hilly terrain, just kind of setting low and coming in really quick and to try to get that entourage there with all the goods in front of her and to get there. And when he finally sees David, she just doesn't even, just drops and bows and shows and humbles herself in front of him. And once she, he gets there, we can see he's, he's looking at her and she's dropping. He's like, Who are you? I mean, he's trying to figure this out, obviously, too. But she took the full blame. Why? Because she knew that David would treat her differently than her husband. So she's like, Take it all on me, please. I'll take the punishment for my husband. If I was there, I would have had a different outcome here. Please, on your maidservant, hear me out. And then she starts smoothly suggesting the positive outcome for David. She starts appealing to him. The Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and avenging yourself. I brought you presents. I brought you what you needed, what you requested. I understand all you were looking for food. I brought this here. I've I've, I've settled the debt my husband due. I brought it. I'll bring it. I'll take the responsibility and also pay you here. And he just, she just asked forgiveness. Straightforward. I, I ask for forgiveness. Please, forgive the trespasses of your maidservant. And Abigail spoke to David's character. David, this is not your character. You fight for the battle of the Lord. You follow the Lord. You're you're the Lord's hand here. You're in the Lord's... You don't do evil. You don't do these things. This is not who you are. The Lord is going to make you the Lord. He's going to make you king. He's going to make you in a position here that this is nothing. This You shouldn't even, even put the weight of this burden of the things that are on you, this, the bloodshed without cause, the avenger. You don't need to have this on your conscience. You don't need this in your life at this point. I've settled the debt. I'll take responsibility. Do something to me, but don't spare my, my husband and all the other men. and the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundles of the living with the Lord your God." Everything is going to be all just beautifully orchestrated by God and bundled up and moving in a direction. God has his hands upon you, David. So please, she's like saying, I, I ask you, please, to, to man up, to, to, to be a man, <laughs> and you're so close to the Lord, be a godly man. Don't be an emotional kid and out of, out of control. She's basically saying, please, don't be like that. Be a godly man. So Abigail did something wise. He took David's mindset that's focused in avenging upon her husband Nabal and put his mind on the Lord. Lifting him up to the Lord. Focusing him on the Lord. Getting his mindset on the Lord. Reminding him of his glorious calling upon his life his destiny and greatness of God's going to do in his life. This is what you need to focus on. You know, it's interesting when you think about this type of submission that she finds herself in. She models what we would refer to as a uh, sweet submission or a uh, uh she's her speaking is very sweet. It's, it's, it's a sweet submission in how she approaches because there are people who will submit and absolutely be silent submission. Her husband is a scoundrel and in some women will take the silent submission and say nothing even though her husband's a scoundrel. It's, it's not good. It's not right. She just says just says, says Nothing. I know my husband's wrong, but I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to say anything to him. I'm just going to be silent and say nothing. So they take this silent submission to mean I'll just shut up and say nothing, even though there's something wrong. And that's wrong. There are also some wives who could be sharp submission or sharply respond in submission. I know my husband's wrong and God has appointed me to tell him every day about that he's always wrong. And boy will I tell him he's wrong all the time. And that's wrong. Look at Abigail, which is a sweet speaking submission, where she knows her husband's wrong, but she's going to sweetly encourage and move the direction and speak up and say something to try to make it right see David's relationship with abigail at this point in time at the very end she's going to 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 try to really create create a relationship there and even point kind of points to the fact that if anything happens you know she's She's open to this relationship with David, basically. Here's what she makes it clear. Verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord of God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you. So David actually takes this woman's advice. He, he clearly knows this is the Lord sending her to speak to him through her. And because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my hand, for indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hasted and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house and see I have heeded your voice and respected your person. In verse 36 and now Abigail went to Nabal and there he, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him. For he was very drunk, therefore she took him nothing or told him nothing little or much until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and became like a stone. Then it then it came about after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. He had a s- slight heart attack moment and... Uh, <laughs> And caused problems, and within 10 days, he obviously, he completely, obviously, the Lord took his life. Because it also struck him, he realized, his way almost cost him his life and every male in, in, his, uh, in, in, his, in his tribe, in his, in his life. He's celebrating like nothing's a big deal. And the wife said, do you know what happened? This is what happened. And sure enough, God took care of it. David didn't need to go in there and cause that problem. It would have caused him a problem with, between him and the Lord. The Lord could take care of these things. And it's so true, Nabal is also a picture of a sinner who goes on rejecting God without regard to God's coming judgment. David certainly would have killed Nabal, and it is certain that God would have judged the sinner who continues to reject him. So we have to understand this from a, even from a, pers- a spiritual perspective here. Here's Nabal just pushing back and rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. There's consequences, to, the judgment's going to come. And as a sinner, you keep rejecting, 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 there's judgment's going to come. And here Nabal's own greed and foolishness was his undoing because he kept rejecting and rejecting what God would want for him. And here his wife Abigail's wise action saved Nabal from David and saved David from himself. But it did not save Nabal from God's judgment though because he still rejected and rejected and rejected But David was very grateful for Abigail's appeal because it kept him from avenging using his own hand, which was not what God said to do. God is more able to deal with the issues and better way to deal with the issues than you are. And then finally here, So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David set and proposed to Abigail and to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey and attended by five, five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took on a a of Jezreel. So both of them were his wives, his wives. But Saul had given Michal, or Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Peltai, the son of Lesh who was from Gilead? So here we see this interesting, as we close out 25, that David knew the death of Nabal was God's judgment. There was no question in his mind that he, you know, Abigail, God used Abigail to, to show mercy and deceive, to keep him from doing this, that God ended up bringing the judgment. And so then David returned and basically in favor and said, okay, Abigail, I would love to have you as my wife. He said, she said, absolutely. He takes on another wife, which now he has two wives. And then he the, it's like, what happened to his first wife, which was Saul's daughter? Well, Saul in vengeance or in resentment took his wife back and gave her over to another guy in, in, in resentment against David. So when that happened, he was not married at the time, it appears, because now we find David takes on the, another first wife and a second wife, and later on he comes back and actually is back with Michal back in, in 2 Samuel chapter 3. We see that he comes and she's now back as his wife. And the question is, is oh, is this of God's way of now he has three or more wives here? No. It's one thing about David he never followed God's way when it came to marriage. He didn't follow God's way when it comes to his flesh. And marriage. So we find that we close this up here. um, Things, you know, again, there's going to be these moments of showing mercy and mercy, and he showed mercy to to Saul. He literally showed mercy to really to Abigail and to his her husband Nabal. Again, wherever you find ourselves right now tonight. Show mercy. Show mercy to those who don't don't deserve mercy, but God showed us mercy. His mercies are new every morning, every day. We must lean upon God's mercy for our lives because we don't always get it right. We don't always do it God's way. But God's mercy and God's grace, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We do thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. May we show grace and mercy to others to allow you to judge, allow you to deal with that person, allow you in that situation. They know none of us have the anger and bitter and resentment and anything that would come in a way, Lord, that would steer us in a way to respond that is not pleasing to you. We thank you again for this evening, Lord, and the studying of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.